Welcome to the Harvest Bible Chapel of Winston-Salem podcast. We believe in proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology, lifting high the name of Jesus through worship, believing firmly in the power of prayer, and sharing the good news of Jesus with boldness. For more information, visit harvestws.org. Here's this week's message. Amen, and welcome to Harvest this morning. Uh, if you're new with us, uh, my name is Johnny Pereira. I'm the senior pastor here, and uh, we've been here for almost a month, and so good to be with you all. And, and uh, if you call this place your home, let me also say welcome to you. We are so glad that you are here today. And uh, we have been, for the past two weeks, in this series entitled, This Is What We Do. Looking at what God has called us to do as a church. Who has God called us to be? And therefore, who is, what has God called us to do as a church? And really, as we looked uh, at these things these past two weeks, and as we look at this third thing this morning and close out uh, this series, um, we have mentioned before the past few weeks that if we are about these things as a church that there's no telling what God's going to do in 2017 and beyond. And as I've been praying and as I've been seeking God's face and I've been stu- as I've been studying these passages of Scriptures and really looking at, first of all, what God is saying to my own life through these things and then also thinking about what God desires to say to us as we gather together on the weekends to worship Him and give God the glory that is due His name. Man, I'm excited to think about what God will do as we apply these things to our lives and therefore then are able to exemplify these things, not just to those yet who desire to place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, but what does it look like for that to be the culture of this place? That we would be a church that welcomes without judgment. And we have been walking through the Gospels as we have looked at these things, welcoming without judgment, loving without condition. And now we're coming to this third idea that frankly, as we've been talking about these things, welcoming without judgment and forgiving without without limits, that I would expect there to be a growing dissonance in you to be able to start saying to yourself, well, welcoming without judgment, but not Him... Not her. Loving without condition. Not this situation. Not that. This is too hard. Not this. Like I would expect that. And, and, and I, would, I would wonder and really wonder if you were listening if you didn't feel that tension inside of you. And I wonder if you feel that tension inside of you because we have yet to talk about this third thing that we're going to look at today. And here it is. Not just are we called by God to welcome without judgment to forgive or to love without condition, but we're called this third thing to forgive without limits. See, last week you may have even felt the tension that as we talked about loving without condition that you felt like, man, you kind of left me hanging. Like, like what does it look like to love without condition? And here it is. Loving without condition and welcoming without judgment also involves that we as God's people That we would be a church, that I would be a person that forgives without limits. I want you to hear me as I I read this. Never 
is the genuineness of our Christianity on display so clearly as in the crucible of choosing to forgive. Choosing to forgive. And so I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 18. We're going to look at verses 21 through uh, 21 through 35 this morning under this idea that we forgive without limits. This is what we do. This is what God has called us to do. This is what God's called you to do. This is what God's called me to do. That we would be a people, that I would be a person that forgives without limits. Like how awesome would it be that at the end of your life, and the end of my life, that if people described you and they described me, that they would say these three things. Man, Johnny Pereira, he wasn't perfect. He did wrong. But he was someone who welcomed without judgment. That he was someone who forgave without lim- or loved without condition. That he was someone that forgave without limits. Because he reminded himself that Jesus Christ welcomed him without judgment. That Jesus Christ loved him without condition. That Jesus Christ forgave him without limits. Like I think that I would be able to say, man, God, I wasn't perfect. I sinned. I fell flat on my face many times. But if, but if I could say that at the end of my life, I would feel like, you know what, I, as Paul said, man, I ran the race. I fought the good fight. I kept the faith. Did you say that about you? I think you would. And so what I want to do this morning as we look at this passage of Scripture in, in Matthew 18 is I just want to prep you, okay? We're going to be turning to a lot of passages of Scripture here at the beginning. Alright, so everybody, like... Get your fingers all warmed up and nimble and ready and hopefully um, you have a copy of God's Word in your hand. If you've got one of those B-rated Bibles on your iPad or your phone, you know, you can turn to that as well. But here's what I love. Man, I love to hear the pages like turn in the Bible. That's an awesome sound, right? Like I hope it is to you. And so I know I just turned off about a third of the crowd because I criticized your phone on your iPad or your phone. I'm just kidding. Okay, I am. But I want, to he- I want you guys to turn to these passages of Scriptures that we're going to get into this morning. So I want you to keep your finger in Matthew 18. So I'm just preparing you, alright? So nobody can say, like, Johnny didn't prepare me that we're going to be turning to a lot of passages of Scriptures. You guys feel prepared? Alright, good. Alright, here's the first thing I want to give you for us to remember. I want to give you three things to remember if we're going to forgive without limits, that I believe are necessary, we're going to see them in these passages of Scripture in, in Matthew 18, but we're also going to see them in these Scriptures I'm going to have you turn to. Here's the first one. That Jesus Christ mandates forgiveness. Jesus Christ mandates forgiveness. And here in a, here in a few moments, I'm going to share with you why that word was chosen, mandate. But I want us to first look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. So get ready. Alright, Matthew 6, verse 12. Let me hear it. Oh yeah, there it is. There it is. Great job. Matthew 6, verse 12. Keep your finger in Matthew 18. Don't, don't lose it. Matthew 6, verse 12. Here we are in the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus says this as He's teaching the disciples and those listening to Jesus at the Sermon on the Mount. He says this, and forgive us our debts as we. What does as we mean? 
as I'm in the process of forgiving, as God is in the process of forgiving me, God is, forgive me as I am forgiving. Is that what it means? Or does it mean to the degree to which I'm doing it? Forgiving. Jesus says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Here's what Jesus is doing. And we're going to see this in the verses to follow. Is that Jesus is connecting the way that I forgive to the way that God forgives and saying to the listeners and saying to us today as we start off this message with this idea of forgiving without limits, that the way that I forgive and the way that God forgives should not be diametrically opposed to one another. But actually it should be this. The way that I forgive and the way that God forgives goes hand in hand. Do that with me. The way that I forgive and the way that God forgives ought to go hand in hand. That's what Jesus is saying here. Look down at Matthew 6, verse 14, just a few verses down. He says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, their sins, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. So Jesus says that same idea again. Just kind of is a little clearer. And unless you still didn't get it this morning, Jesus, out of His grace, and even the listeners in, that are listening to this on the Sermon on the Mount, He says it again in verse 15, but He says it in the reverse. He says, but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now let's stop. Because here's what I know. In a crowd this size, in this room, there's individuals that are dealing with hurt. There's individuals that are dealing with immense pain. There's things that have been done to you that are not right. They are sin. They are deplorable. And there may be people in this room that have done things that are hurtful, that are harmful, that are deplorable. There may be even people in this room that you know where that person is sitting and you know that you have something against them or they have something against you. I'm not naive to think that that's not in this place. And so what I want to do right here, right now, is I just want to stop and I just want to pray that we would be ready to listen to God's Word that as God speaks, and He does. Because when God's Word is out open, God's mouth is open. God's going to speak. Not because of me, but because of His Word. That we would be ready to take what God has to say on this subject of forgiveness and apply it to where we live. To those hurts. To those sinful deeds. Whether they've been done to us or we've done them to someone else. Would you, as I pray out loud, pray in your hearts and say, God, would you show me where I need to extend forgiveness? God, we pray right now. We just stop right now. And Lord, we ask that our hearts would be sensitive to where you want us to forgive. We're not saying that those things that we may need to forgive were right. We're not giving permission for those things to be done to us. 
But God, I pray that as we look at Your Word, we would recognize that, God, You have called us to forgive. Lord, I pray for those of us in this room that know that we need to ask forgiveness, and we have not. That as we get into Your Word, that You would convict us. And we would walk out of here saying, right now, right here, I'm not wasting any more time. I'm going to go and I'm going to ask forgiveness. I'm going to get on the phone this afternoon. I'm going to talk with this person who's here right now after church today. Whatever it may be. I'm going to talk to my spouse when we get home. I'm going to talk to my kids when I get home. Whatever it may be, Lord, would You work? We know that You will speak. So Lord, may we obey. And God, don't allow me to say anything today that You don't want me to say. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now let me do this. Alright, let's get real. Hands up if you've ever struggled with forgiveness. And I'm going to set the stage. I'm putting both hands up. Right? Now don't judge. Don't look at the person next to you if they have their hands down. Like, don't do that. We all struggle with forgiveness. You may be right now in the process of forgiving something that is very hurtful, very harmful, that was deplorable. I said that already. You're in the process of that. And I say that because here's what Jesus is not saying. That if you're in the process of forgiving, that you're working through that, that you're saying, I know that I need to forgive this person. I know I need to do it. I'm struggling with the guilt over not being able to do that right now. I'm seeking godly counsel. I'm in God's Word. I'm praying that He through the power of the Holy Spirit, enables me to forgive. And we're going to define all that here in a few moments. That Jesus is not saying to you, verse 15 of Matthew 6, that if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Because that verse is weighty. Is it not? What Jesus is talking about here is someone who is resigned to the fact that I don't need to forgive. Like I'm holding on tightly to it. I'm seizing it. I actually like it. I don't want to let it go. And I feel zero conviction over not forgiving. Like if conviction was like a heart monitor, it would be flatline. I have no conviction whatsoever to forgive. That's who Jesus is talking to. And Jesus' point is this, that forgiven people forgive. That one of the signs that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ is that I extend forgiveness. And so what he's saying here is he's saying it this way in many different ways. As you've seen in Matthew chapter 6, he's saying this in such a way to get his, their hearers, the hearers to wake up and, and say to themselves, one of the fruits that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ is that I extend forgiveness. Doesn't mean I'm not struggling with it. Doesn't mean I'm not processing in the midst of the crisis. Doesn't mean that, but if I've flatlined and I have no conviction whatsoever to, to exercise forgiveness, then I need to check my heart and say, wait a minute. Have I received God's forgiveness? Because forgiven people forgive. Even when it's hard. Even when it's hurtful. Now go to Mark eleven twenty five, and I'm going to read this quickly. Jesus says it this way, unless you're still not convinced. Mark 11, verse 25, 
It says, and whenever you stand praying, forgive. Like if you're going to pray and you stand praying, you better also be forgiving if any of you have anything against anyone so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Then look at what he says in Matthew eleven twenty six. Remember, it's like sword drill. Get your fingers ready. Go to Matthew eleven twenty six. Let me hear that sound. You're starting to wane. Matthew eleven twenty six. There you go. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Once again, what is Jesus, Jesus doing here? Forgiven people forgive. So my forgiveness and how I treat relationships in my life, my forgiveness and God's forgiveness ought not to be opposed, but they ought to go hand in hand. Because this is what we do. Jesus Christ mandates forgiveness. We're not going to turn to these passages of Scriptures, but if you're taking notes, you can write them down. He says the same thing in Luke 6, 37. He says the same thing again in Luke 17, 4. Jesus Christ mandates forgiveness. This is what we do. We forgive without limits. But why that word mandate? Why do we say it that way? Here's the definition of mandate. When action is demanded of another, often with a specific consequence implied for non-compliance. That's what Jesus is doing in these passages of Scripture. Forgiven people forgive. Jesus Christ mandates forgiveness. Why? Because of what He has forgiven us. He's forgiven me of my sins. And the weight of it, and the depth of it, and the price of it. Romans 5.8, God demonstrated His love to me when? That while I was in the midst of my sin, Jesus Christ died for me. Let me give you a definition of forgiveness. Forgiveness is the decision to release a person from the obligation that resulted when they injured you. Did you get that? Forgiveness is the decision to release a person from the obligation that resulted when they injured you. Forgiveness isn't, I'm giving you permission that what you did to me was okay. It's not forgiveness. That's what we oftentimes equate forgiveness with. That if I forgive that person, I'm saying that what they did to me was okay. No, it's, that's not what forgiveness is. According to this definition, is forgiveness is the decision to release a person from the obligation that resulted when they injured you. That you're actually obligated to handle yourself in this way. But you know what I'm doing? I'm releasing you. I'm releasing it. I'm going to go out on a limb here, okay? I actually got this from the 9 a.m. service. Is there anybody in here who has a $100 bill? Anybody? Got a $100 bill. All right. So, I'm going to go to you, and I'm going to get, do you mind giving me the $100 bill? All right. So, here we go. So, what is your name? Elizabeth. So, Elizabeth, I don't even know you, and look at you. You're going to give me a $100 bill. That's awesome. This is the most profitable sermon illustration that I have ever done. Elizabeth, thank you so very much. Dinner's on me today, guys. 
Now, Elizabeth, don't get too nervous, okay? So let's say this. Let's say I go home today, and I forget to give Elizabeth back her $100. And I'm going home, and, and uh, I realize, like, I get home, and I realize, oh my goodness, I still have that $100, and it's a real $100. Now think about this. Elizabeth has just gone home and said, my pastor's a thief. I can't believe that guy kept my $100. Is she in prison over that reality? Is she saying to herself, I can't move on with my life. I'm stuck now because I haven't gotten back my $100. Is she? Can be. But she doesn't have to be. You know what she can do? She can say, you know what? He doesn't owe me back. He doesn't owe me that $100. And in the midst of her saying, you know what? I'm releasing Johnny Pereira from the obligation of paying me back. She can move on with her life. Thank you, Elizabeth. She can move on. That's the definition of forgiveness. And some of us are walking around in our life and we're saying to ourselves, that person has never paid me back. That person owes me. And I'm holding on to it. And what I want us to see in this passage of Scripture is to look at this passage of Scripture in Matthew 18 and remind ourselves of why I ought to be compelled to make the decision to release a person from the obligation that resulted when they injured me. Why ought I to do that? Because Jesus Christ mandates for His children, for followers of Him, that we choose to forgive. So go to Matthew 18 now. Go back there. Your finger should, should be holding your place there. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 18. And we're going to deal with, as I said, verses 21 through 35, but I want to jump up and give us some context in verse 15. Because Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20, Jesus is dealing with how do we handle personal offenses with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And in verse 15, look at it with me. Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, you know what you need to put like in parentheses in your Bible? It's going to happen. If you've not realized that already. So, Jesus says, if, but we know it's going to happen. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, and then Jesus goes through different scenarios of how we deal with that conflict that we don't have time to necessarily deal with today. But then I want you to look at Matthew 18, verse 21. So Jesus just gotten done talking about how to deal with those personal offenses. Jesus just walked through how that is done. And now we come to verse 21 and look at Peter. It says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Here's what I find interesting. Jesus just walked through how we handle personal offenses with our brothers and sisters in Christ. But Peter's still stuck on verse 15. 
Like, I don't see here where Peter asks this question like, I mean, I don't see it, and, and if you do see it, then we need to get a different Bible. But he doesn't ask a question like, well, how do I tell it to the church? Like, you told me to do that. How do I even do that? What do you, what do, you do after that, Jesus? Peter doesn't ask those questions. You know what he's stuck on? He's like, you told me if my brother sins against me, I need to go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Lord, how now he says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? You do this all the time in a message. Like I say something, and you're like stuck in that one thing, and we've moved on ten minutes later, but you're still on that one thing, and it's bothering you, right? Everybody else has moved on. You're still on that one thing. You're like, I don't know about that. Well, there's this, this scenario. Maybe that's happened in this series, whether it's welcoming without judgment or loving without condition or we're already there and you're way back at the introduction of the message already. Peter does that. He's like, Jesus, I can't get over this. Like, How often am I supposed to forgive? That leads me into the second thing we need to remember. Here it is. Not only do we does Jesus Christ mandate forgiveness, here's the second thing. Forgiveness must be immediate, total, and unilateral. See any wiggle room still in there? I don't think so. Immediate, total, and unilateral. Here's the reality. Can we just be like perfectly clear? Like everyone has someone in their life that stretches them on this topic of forgiveness. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Here's what's interesting. Some of you are like, yes, yes. And you don't realize you're the one. Right? Everyone, whether that's the complexity of the situation or the proximity that that person has to you, every one of us have people in our life that we are faced with the choice over and over again, am I going to forgive? Now, Peter must have had someone in his life like this. Because Peter says in verse 21, look what he says, look at it again, how often am I, will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And then he throws out this amazing number that he thinks is just going to put him at the top of the class with the disciples. He says, Jesus, seven times? And here's why he thought that number was such an amazing number because the Pharisees taught you, you need to forgive someone three times. Like three strikes and you're out. So Peter thinks to himself, holy cow, if the Pharisees, like I know Jesus has been like raking them over the coals, but they're still the religious elite of the day. So if they, they said three times, then I'm going to add three to that and add another one, and I'm going to say, Lord, seven times? And look at what Jesus says. Many of you know this story, but sometimes the most familiar is the most forgotten. And Jesus says to him in verse 22, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. See, here's the reality. Jesus' point is that when you get to 490 times, you're like, forget you! Doesn't mean it's like, oh man, I'm at... 489, please do it again. 
please do it again so we can get to 490 so I can be done with you. (laughs) That's not Jesus' point here. Here's what Jesus is doing. He's taking the number that Peter threw out to be somewhat self-righteous and rationalizing his behavior and whatever may have been going on in Peter's life at that time. We don't know. But there must have been a reason why Peter threw out that number. And Jesus blows it away, not to give an arbitrary 490 times, but to say to Peter, Peter, there's no limit. There's no line. There's no boundary that when you get to this, you can rationalize and say, I don't need to forgive anymore. Why? Because praise be to God, God doesn't treat me like that. And He doesn't treat you like that. Now, I've not counted the times that I've sinned in my life, but I can promise you it's more than 490. And I thank God that God doesn't treat me like that. See, that's Jesus' point here. So in order to drive home this point to Peter and his disciples, Jesus now shares a parable. Look at what it says in verse 23. He says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king. So you have this king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. So he's looking and he's seeing, what do my servants owe me? And in verse 24 he says, And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. If you spend any time in church, you've probably read this story before, and many of you are like, man, I already know what that is. Got a study Bible here. Tells me what it is. And great for you. That's awesome. And we hear oftentimes, and and I've heard this story a million times as well, we hear oftentimes the cost of the talents. Like one talent was 20 years wages. So, like, he owes 200,000 years of wages. Impossible to pay, right? You put it into today's, you know, you read things, you put it into today's numbers, it's billions of dollars. But you know what I haven't seen as much emphasis on is the weight of what he's been forgiven. Like I've heard a bunch the cost of what he's been forgiven, but not so much the weight, because a talent actually weighs 75 pounds. So you take 10,000. Some of you can do that in your head. Unfortunately, I had to pull out a calculator. I'm a pastor, not a mathematician. 750,000 pounds. And I think it's interesting that Jesus uses this, this parable, this illustration of forgiveness, and Jesus just doesn't mention a measure to get across the cost of what this person owes, but also the weight of what he owes. Let's keep reading. He says in verse 25, and since he could not pay, like, most obvious statement in this entire passage, right? Of course he could not pay. His master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. And here's what you need to understand. This was normal practice in the Old Testament in the law. So if I owed someone something and I couldn't pay it back, then what I would do is I would come up with a contract that said that I would work for that person for a certain number of years until I paid off the debt. And then after seven years, there was the year of Jubilee and everyone was forgiven of all their debts. So this doesn't make this master this cruel person because if you think that, you're going to get contradicted here in a few verses. Look at verse 26. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me. And look at this phrase, I will pay you everything. 
Was that a statement that that servant could do? No! We just said it would take 200,000 years for him to pay that. But yet he says to this king, this master, have patience with me. I'll pay you everything. He couldn't do that. He was making promises he couldn't keep. That's what got him into this place, place in the first place. Look at verse 27. And out of pity. Now that's not like the word pity that we often use today where it's not the greatest term. This, it actually means this, which I think is so good and shows the heart of this king that Jesus is illustrating really the heart of God. Pity means affection and great compassion. That's what this king had for the servant. In spite of the cost of the debt that he had, in spite of the weight of the debt that he had, he had affection and great compassion for him. And the master of the servant released him. Did you get that? Released him. What do we say forgiveness was? Releasing someone from the obligation of what they've done to hurt you. It's He released him. And forgave him the debt. Did the servant owe him that debt? Yes. Was it wrong for him to have that debt? Yes. Was he justified in having that debt? No. But what did the king do? He released and he forgave. Now look at verse 28. And you have that three letter word, but. You ought to circle that. When that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, which is four months' wages, which equals, today's terms, thousands of dollars. Not a small debt, but in nowhere in comparison to the debt that this servant had been forgiven of. He seized this servant who owed him this, and he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. Like, when you think about this story, you're like, did I read this right? Could this be possible, given what's just happened? Look at verse 29. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. Isn't it interesting that he says the same thing to this servant who's been forgiven that this forgiven servant said to this king? Now look at verse 30. He refused. You've got to circle that. And he went in and put him into prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. Like the servants looking at this whole situation and knowing that this forgiven servant, how much of the cost of it he's been forgiven that his debt was, how much of the weight that his sin was, or that his debt was that he's been forgiven of. And they're looking on and they can't believe what they see. They're distressed by this. Like you ought to be already connecting the dots. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant. I find it interesting that this master doesn't call him a wicked servant based upon his debt. He calls him a wicked servant because he forgot, he forgot what he was forgiven. And he was not treating his fellow servants with the same 
compassion as He was extended. He says, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with Me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Let me read verse 33 again. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? Now I read that twice because here's what I want you to do. I want you right now, in your mind, to take the hardest, the most hurtful, the most hateful situation in your life that you're holding on to and you haven't extended forgiveness and I want you to place it on verse 33. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? Here's the third thing we need to remember if we're going to forgive without limits. And it's also our big idea that forgiveness is what we do. Because forgiven people forgive. And what I want to do in the rest of our time this morning is I just want to go back over these verses as we've walked through this story and pull out four reasons why forgiveness is what we do. And I don't know if you take notes normally or not, but as I said at the start of this message, this is a, this is a message that hits every single one of us. Like, I didn't need to ask the question, have you ever, are you struggling right now to forgive someone? Because I knew that would be a stupid question. And if that is you, I'd be more than happy to give you something. <laughs> so let me give you these four reasons why forgiveness is what we do. Here's the first one. Because rationalizations are foolish. They're foolish. Peter tries to do that right in verse 22. Jesus, how many times should I forgive? Seven times? Let me make myself look good. Let me make myself feel good. Let me rationalize this. Peter wanted a way out of forgiveness. Oh, is it only seven times? So I can't wait to get to eight. I can't wait to get to 490. Some of us are looking for an excuse, a loophole, a way out. Is there a person I don't have to forgive? Is there a time? Is there a crime? Is there a way I can squirm out? Make note of this, forgiveness is always the way. It's the only way. It's the only way. And I don't want to be repetitive, but I want to say this just so that you're clear. I'm not minimizing the hurt. I'm not minimizing the harm. I'm not minimizing the pain. I'm not giving someone permission that it was okay that they did this or that to you. Don't hear me say that. But my responsibility, what I can control, what affects my walk with the Lord, what affects my life with the Lord, what affects my outlook on life, is how I forgive. I can't control you. You can't control someone else. But what we can do is we can forgive. Here's some of the rationalizations we use it's too big, it's too big. When we make that rationalization, I want to remind ourselves of what Jesus Christ has forgiven us of. In Hebrews 10, it says that Jesus Christ made one sacrifice for all sin. So even though I want to compartmentalize and say, well, I've never done this certain thing, let me just stop right there and let me not be the 
forgiven servant who forgets of what I've been forgiven. But let me remind myself that when Jesus Christ spread His arms on the cross and shed His blood for me and said, it is finished. And He lived perfection in place of my sinful life. And He died on the cross for my sins and He rose again three days later. That He just not, did not forgive me of my past sin and my present sin. He has forgiven me of my future sin that I haven't even done yet. And when I ball all of that up, it's too high of a price that I could ever pay, and it's too heavy of a burden that I could ever bear. I can't do enough good to pay that debt. I can't do enough good to bear that weight. You can't either. That's why Jesus Christ came for you and for me. And so if I want to rationalize and say it's too big, I need to then compare it to what the magnitude of a lifetime of sin that Jesus Christ has forgiven me of. It's not too big. Here's another rationalization. I can't forgive if I can't forget. Right? How often is, is that? And unless you want to go in for a lobotomy, I can't forget, but I can forgive. Because if you think I have to forget before I can forgive, let me ask you, how do you think that's going for you? I can answer that. What do we define forgiveness as? It's the decision to release a person from the obligation that resulted when they injured you. What does the king do? He releases. Here's another rationalization. Time will heal it. Like if I walked around and I had this massive malignant tumor in my shoulder, and I came in on Sunday, and you saw that, and you were like, what's going on with that? And I said, oh, it's a malignant tumor, it's cancerous, but they're like, well, when are you getting surgery? Are you getting surgery today? Are you getting surgery tomorrow? Like, have you met with the doctor? Have you come up with a plan? And I'm like, no, time will heal it. I don't even realize it's there. And you're thinking to yourself, how can you not? And I'm like, oh, time will heal it. It'll go away. It won't hurt anymore. You're like, no, you have a malignant tumor, a cancerous tumor in your shoulder. And here's the reality. When we have unforgiveness in our heart that's going unresolved, it is a cancer. I was talking with a lady after the first service, and she said it this way, that unforgiveness is like you drinking poison thinking that it's going to kill the other person who's wronged you. I thought that was good. Like, and I don't know about you, but I, I've made that rationalization before. Ah, oh, let's just let it go. Time will heal it. And you know what always happens? I always run into that person. You ever find that interesting? You always run into the people you don't want to run into? Am I the only one that that happens to? You run into the store, you run into uh, another, uh, at the school, at a school, or whatever it is. Maybe you live with that person. And God forbid that's in the church. And we fall into this rationalization that time will heal it rather than saying, wait a minute, I'm not going to wait it out. I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to release that person from the obligation. I'm going to say the words, I forgive you. 
which regardless of this next rationalization that says, I'll forgive when, they're, when they say they're sorry. Because when I operate like that, guess what? They're not in prison, I am. I am. When I say I forgive you, I'm not giving them permission. I'm not excusing their sin. I'm not saying it's, their sin is okay. But I'm saying I care too much about my relationship with the Lord. I want to remind myself that I have been forgiven without any limits. Without any boundary line. Because forgiveness is what we do. Here's another idea that we need to remind ourselves of under this, why do we forgive? Why is it what we do? Because rationalizations are foolish. But here's the other thing. Because failure is so destructive. It's so destructive. Look at what it says in verse 28. Look at how the servant responds to his fellow servant. It says he began to choke him saying, pay me what you owe. Now get this. Don't pass over this. I'm not lending thousands of dollars to a stranger. they got to be a pretty tight, close friend for me to give them that much money. Am I the only one? If not, I want to talk to you about loaning me some money. doesn't say it in this passage of Scripture, but I, but I think we can venture to say that they had a relationship in this parable that Jesus is giving because you don't loan strangers that much money. And here's why I say that. Because of the way the servant responded to his fellow brother who owed him so much smaller of a, an amount than what he was forgiven of. It was destructive to that relationship. James McDonald has said this over and over and over again. And when I was in the training center, I heard him say it all the time to us. That there is no enduring relationship without forgiveness. Lori and I have been married 17 years by God's grace. And I can say that one of the reasons for that is because all the times that I have messed up and sinned and done wrong, and wronged her, and having to go to her and say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And her extending that over and over and over again to me is partly why we're together for 17 years. And I'm sure you can say the same if you've been married for a length of time, or you've had friends for a length of time, decades upon decades or you've been a part of this church since it started, or whatever it may be. Remember what we said? That we're all sinful people. Which means I'm going to wrong you, and you're going to wrong me. And all of our relationships are on a course of either to forgive or to fail. And there's no enduring relationships without forgiveness. And this relationship failed because the servant would not remind himself of what he's been forgiven. And it's so sad today that so many people, rather than saying the words, I forgive you, or will you forgive me? When they hit one of those times where they wrong one another, they stop the relationship and they move on. Then that happens again. They stop the relationship and they move on. And sad to say that even happens in the church. 
that when someone feels wrong, rather than going and getting it right and saying, man, we love each other too much to deal with it, what do we do? We leave a church, we go to another place. And guess what happens again? That happens again. We leave another church, we go to another place. You know, being in ministry for 17 years, and I've had people come into my office when they're wanting to become a part of our church, and they start out by saying, man, you want to know why we left that church? Because this happened, and that happened, and that happened, and that happened. You know what I say to them? Well, it's only going to be a matter of time then before you leave this church. And they're a little taken back by that because I was like, I'm not perfect. And if I wrong you, I'm going to ask forgiveness or I hope that I have accountability around me that's going to point out where I've wronged. But there's no enduring relationships without forgiveness. Forgiveness is what we do because failure is so destructive. Here's another reason. Because God's forgiveness demands it. We see that in verse 32. This king says to the servant who should have forgiven the small debt based on the large debt that he was forgiven, he, this king says, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Here's one of the greatest things that we can do when faced with a choice to forgive. is to stop pray, say, God, I'm struggling right now to forgive. God, right now, I need to be reminded of Your love and Your grace and Your forgiveness for me. I need to speak that truth to what I feel. I need to speak that truth to my emotions. God, everything in me, my emotions want to jump in the driver's seat, but God, let me allow Your truth of what I've been forgiven, that I'm a child of a King, that I have an inheritance that will last for all time, that I have a home in heaven with You when I pass from this life to the next, that I have a God who will never leave me or forsake me. God, let me remind myself of that truth as I'm in this position to forgive. God's forgiveness demands it. Because our Master has forgiven us of so much. And here's the last thing. Because the alternative is terrifying. Look at verse 34. It says, In anger his Master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay his debt. That word pay is an interesting word. It doesn't mean pay the king. Because here's a news flash. I can never repay God for what He's forgiven me. Can you? No! That's not what it means. It Literally, the word pay means this. To give to others what the King has given to you. That's good, right? That what pay means when He says until He should pay all His debt, what He's saying here, until you're willing to give to that servant what I've given to you. Who do we need to pay? Who do we need to say, I'm going to give to you what's been given to me? I'm not going to wait till you say you're sorry. That may never happen. I'm not going to say, oh, time will heal it. I'm not going to say, oh, it's too big. No, no, no. I'm going to remind myself of what Jesus Christ has done for me. How much my God loved me to send Jesus Christ to live and die and be risen for my sins. As we close out this message, there's a painting on the screen of a familiar painting. It's the Last Supper. Many of you know it was painted by Leonardo da Vinci, an absolute amazing 
genius of his day, and I would probably even say of today if he lived today. And you know, as da Vinci was painting this famous painting of the Last Supper, he took time to paint the rooms, and he took time to paint the clothing, and he took time, and he began after he was done painting everything else, he began to paint the faces. And in the midst of painting the faces, he got in a fight with one of his friends, a a quarrel with one of his friends, and he became very angry towards that friend. And you'll notice that in one of the disciples, he's leaning on the back of his elbow there, that's Judas. And in the midst of Leonardo da Vinci painting these faces, he got to Judas and because he was so angry and he was so upset with his friend and they had, they had something, they were at odds with one another that Leonardo da Vinci actually painted the face of his friend on Judas. Like, I'm going to get you back. I'm going to mortalize you as Judas. And this is a true story. That when Leonardo did that, he then got to the face of Jesus. He left Jesus for last. And he went to paint Jesus' face and he just didn't feel good about it. And he kept going back and back and back to Jesus' face and he just couldn't get it right. He couldn't, didn't feel like the face was right. And he remembered what he did and the anger that he had toward his friend. And he went to that painting of Judas and he rubbed out that face and he painted a generic face. But you're interesting why that face is a different color than everyone else's. Because he couldn't paint Jesus' face until he got what was wrong right with his friend. And then he was able to paint Jesus' face. And many artists believe that this is one of the most merciful, kind faces of Jesus that has been painted in that era. And I share that illustration to say to us today and to ask ourselves the question, what have we not forgiven that we are just trying to move on with our lives and trying to move on on our relationship with God when we know there's that massive tumor on our body that's unforgiveness that we are saying, I'm not going to resolve it. It's too big. Time will heal it. I'll forgive when they ask for forgiveness. Rather than saying, God, forgiveness is what You've called me to do because of what You've forgiven me of. God, let me remind myself today that forgiven people forgive. I'm not excusing what they've done. I'm not giving permission for what they've done. I'm not saying that what they've done was right. I'm not saying that I can even be in a close relationship with that person right now. But I'm going to forgive. Maybe the reverse is true. And you know you've wronged someone else. And you've been trying to ignore it. Maybe you, when we leave this place today need to go to someone and say I'm sorry will you forgive me you know I've said in the counseling room over and over again that when someone comes in especially a couple or someone that's been at odds with one another I'd say when's the last time you said these words I'm sorry will you forgive me because I think about my own relationships and I think when a long time is gone that those words haven't been exercised and given that relationship probably is not in a healthy place. 
some of us may need to, as soon as this service is done, man, we need to get it done. We need to ask forgiveness. We need to extend it. No longer are we going to allow that to build up in us that we as God's people are going to make the decision to release the person from the obligation that resulted when they injured you. God, we are reminded today of your mercy. God, I pray that if there's someone in this room that has never trusted You as their Lord and Savior, that has been trying on their own merit, on their own good deeds, to try to repay the sin that they've done, God, I pray that today that they would have seen that there's no good that we can do that can ever pay the debt that our sin has put on us. But You loved us enough that You came to live and die and be risen for our sins. And so God, if there's someone in this room like that, would today, in the quietness of their mind, would they call out to You asking forgiveness of their sin, trusting You as their Lord and Savior? Lord, for the rest of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, God, will we search our hearts and not allow unforgiveness to continue, but to release the obligation to say, I want to move on in my relationship with You, Lord. I don't want to be chained. I don't want to be bound by this. God, I'm going to release what that person owes. God, may we be known as a church that forgives without limits, that loves without condition, that welcomes without judgment. That's only possible with You. So God, I thank You today for Your mercy because it is what compels me. It's what compels us to forgive. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Harvest Bible Chapel Winston-Salem podcast. For more information, visit harvestws.org.